Happy Valentine's Day, and welcome to a very special edition of The Ascent of Board Games. We are here in the scenic ballroom of Chateau de Chat, about to play Barbara Cartland, a romance game, for your entertainment and edification on this most romantic of days. Before we get started here, I do want to mention that this game was published about 35 years ago based on novels that were published 40 or more years ago and set one or two hundred years ago. These are romance novels of a somewhat old-fashioned bent, and as a result, the text contains some cultural insensitivity, a lot of gender stereotyping, and at least one scene that we today would call sexual assault. And while we're a bunch of cynical 21st century jerks and we can laugh about some of that old-fashioned stuff now, we just want to make absolutely clear that sexual assault and that kind of stereotyping is not funny. We don't support it. We don't encourage it. And if there are any real people involved rather than fictional characters, knock that shit off. Looking at this board, I just, the first thing I want to ask is, who's going to take care of the gates that open up? (laughs) (laughs) Because this is very Eldritch-like. If you took Eldritch zoomed into Europe. And made it pink. And made it pink. It's a totally different type of horror, but horror nonetheless. (laughs) Exactly. Horror. Horror. Enunciate. I like that the locations are like Paris, Venice, Castle, (laughs) Ocean Liner. Because we don't want to spend all day doing this and make you listen to all the details, we're only playing a three-player game, but everybody's going to be involved. But I'm going to assign characters because that is only appropriate. (laughs) I see. You see, Joe is a big Barbara Cartland fan, so he wants to ensure that we get the best... uh, I want to make sure everyone can move at least twice during a turn because some people's annuities is five shillings. You can only move once each turn. We don't want to hear about the romances of poor people. Uh, No, not at all. (laughs) I'm Brian, and I will be taking on the role of Uta Kinshi. I have silky black hair that frames a small pointed face. My large, beautiful eyes have a mystery about them that complements my engaging smile. You want to tell them about our, our lovely maiden? Sure, I'm, uh, I'm Jason. And I'm Joe. We are cooperatively playing <laughs> Alina Cumberly. Your large, deep blue eyes, fair flowing hair, and thin pinquat face with its perfect pink and white complexion, symbolize the beauty for which men yearn. And also, we were we were selected this character because it is the only character who was wearing a strapless dress. <gasps> Gasp. Mm-hmm. She yeah. is showing so much shoulder in oh that picture. Oh my gosh. I don't think you're the only one. Oh! <laughs> I hope oh. we don't show up to the same party in that outfit. Oh. Well, we just found our rival. Oh, awful. <laughs> <laughs> well, Frank and Michael are teaming up. And Frank, do you want to tell us about our character? Sure thing. We are Nevada Van Arden. Always bad being named after state. Your deep red hair highlighted with rippling streaks of gold, your dark lashes framing clear blue eyes, and your ringing laughter make you the object of admiration and attention. We have seven shilling annuity and charm. Rich bitch. I will also point out that, Frank, we are definitely the most fashionable of the group. Yeah, that's a pretty epic hat. hat. Yeah. (laughs) And you know what they say. When you step out of the house, the first thing God sees is your hat. No, I didn't know that. No, 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 no. I think you just made that up. We have established that Mike and Frank are going to be taking our first turn. Nevada, turn one. Paragraph 11. Standing on the tall bridge balustrade, holding on to an ornamental stone urn, you contemplate suicide. What else is there for you? 
Best opening ever. In the depths of your heart, you cannot marry Prince Keriz, for you do not love him. But how can you disobey your mother, who is blinded by the prince's wealth and position? There is only one fate for you, the river. It is with deep regret, the papers will say, that we have announced that on the other night, May the 3rd, the body of a young woman is recovered from the banks of our river. Just then, a deep voice speaks. I think you will find that a somewhat precarious position. Below you on the garden path is a gentleman. Even in the faint light of the stars, you can see he is very elegant. I- I'm, I'm all right, you say. Please, please leave me alone. I have an uncomfortable feeling, the gentleman remarks, that I may have to ruin this new coat that has just come from my tailors. There's a strong tide in the river at this point. After a moment of silence, he says, It is very cold tonight. Why don't we go inside and discuss what has made you fly to such a dangerous perch? He holds out a gloved hand. For a moment, you feel like grabbing it. Then you turn away. This is very kind of you, but it is none of your business. But he takes your hand and will not let go. This stranger is trying to draw you towards him. Decisions and direction. You have two choices. You can pull away from him or you can go with him as he pulls you off the railing. Frank, should definitely play hard to get. I mean, so Frank, we're starting from a pretty low point here. I'm afraid if we play hard to get, like the only other direction to go is um, down in the river. But then you get a big strapping man. This is is like a a historical romance. We should start in the river. It's supposed to be, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I love you. That's the standard like. So Frank is what you're saying. We've got nothing else to live for. Yes, totally. All right, well, we have to disobey Mother. She'll never go for this, so I'm, I'm good with it. Let's go. You attempt to resist his attempt to grab you. Read paragraph 214. Man, I'm excited to see how else these people start off, because I'm not sure it can get any worse. Or better. Uta, turn one. My starting paragraph is three. The Duchess disappeared. You are in the kitchen helping Betsy prepare dinner. The doorbell rings, and you go to the door. Standing outside is a middle-aged man, neatly, if not very fashionably dressed. Behind him is a carriage drawn by two horses. Is this the house of the late Lord Rannoch? Eon Rannoch. It is. Then I wish to speak with whoever is looking after his daughter. I am. Mary Rose Rannoch is my niece. I'm delighted to meet you. My name is Angus McKeith. (laughs) And come on a mission of some urgency. Angus McKeith has come because since the death of your sister Rosemary and her husband Ian Rannoch, their child has become the heir presumptive to her uncle, the Duke of Strathrenoch. You think bitterly that this is a great irony since Ian was ostracized from his family for marrying an Englishwoman, especially one who was thought to be totally beneath his station. Uta? Uta Kinchi is Scottish. Okay, sure. Considering that Mary Rose is now eight years old, and the Duke has never made the slightest effort to see her, nor show any interest in her, I doubt if any English judge would give over the guardianship to her. English judge? Mr. McKeith queries. As you are aware, Miss Wyndham, Mary Rose is a Scot. The case, if it should unfortunately come to court, would be heard in Edinburgh. Your lips tighten and you cry. How can the Duke want to take Mary Rose to Scotland? And why does he want her there? Why does he not have a child of his own? Is he a young man? 
There is a silence, and you know that Mr. McKeith is debating whether he should tell you something, but it is not certain if it is the right thing for him to do. You wait for his answer, your eyes dark and stormy. You know, of course, that the Duke is married. But I thought the Duchess was dead. Her grace disappeared eight years ago, only three years after her marriage. Her body has never been found. Until it is, the Duke is legally a married man. So now, after all these years of indifference, the Duke wishes Mary Rose to leave her home and everything that is familiar to journey to Scotland? The little girl will have a very warm welcome. She'll be chieftain of the clan. Clan wishes for her to be brought up in Scotland, understanding the history and the tradition of the Rannochs. And doubtless to be indoctrinated with their feuds and cruelties to one another? My brother-in-law was deeply hurt. Indeed, the right word should be wounded by the fact that his brother when he received the inheritance, made no attempt to get in touch with him. In fact, he carried on the feud that had existed between Lord Ian and his father. Scots are very straight-laced, Mr. McKeith replies, and you must know that to them, Lord Ian's secret impetuous marriage when he was so young was a crime, not only against his immediate family, but against the whole clan. That is nonsense! You exclaim, your voice hot with anger. How can anyone trust a family who could cut one of its own members out of their lives simply because he married a woman of whom they did not approve? You have a decision. I need like a flow chart here. Mm -hmm. You were taking notes, right, Brian? <laughs> so my sister is eight years old and is... No, your niece my is niece eight years old eight and years you old. are her legal guardian in England, but her father's brother wants, wants her to take back her off in Scotland to Scotland to inherit the the chieftainship. Apparently, all right. What are my options? You have three choices. You can go to London and try to have Little Mary Rose declared English, so that she can stay <laughs> in London. I declare you English. Obviously, that's how that works. Sure, it's kind of like declaring bankruptcy. <laughs> you just have to be in London when yeah. you do it. Her accent just spontaneously changes. It's amazing. It's so weird. You could go to Berlin, where your father, a member of the Foreign Service, lives and hope to hide from the Scottish barbarian. <laughs> or you can accept the wishes of the Duke, take her to the castle, which is near Edinburgh. Do you have high society? I do. Immediately read paragraph 129. Oh, so I don't even get a choice? turn here. Oh, okay. You have additional information. You ask a barrister friend of yours to help you fight against the clan's claim, but he has bad news for you. Since Mary Rose is officially a Scottish citizen, any court case will be heard in Edinburgh with a Scottish judge. <laughs> it is his opinion that in this case it would be impossible to get a satisfactory judgment. Hmm. That's actually kind of interesting that it's like, hey, here's a decision that you can make. But oh, also, but here's please. some extra information <laughs> because you have... Here's some extra information that could help you make a more informed decision. I don't know that any other Is game this has done a that. good game? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it started off with suicide. <laughs> that, that single mechanic is fascinating. Yeah, yeah there we go. Been way too long. Um, right? I think since I can't possibly get a good judgment... I mean, I am but a woman in a man's world. Uh, so I think I have to go to Edinburgh. See what the Duke is like before making any decisions. Yeah. Go to Edinburgh and read paragraph 103. Draw a fate card. Pay double for next movement turn. Corrupt officials. Ah, oh, the Scots again. Alina, turn one. Jason, what is your starting story uh, location? Twelve. Twelve, you say. 
Your story is Punishment of a Vixen. Ooh. Seems appropriate. It's what you get for wearing strapless. And blonde, my God. Uh, I wouldn't throw stones there. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're going to be telling me that you were putting on like ruby red lipstick. Oh, you just wait. <laughs> Father can be so beastly. Cutting your allowance in half because of a silly boy. But you'll show him. You'll run away and cause another scandal. Then he'll be sorry he ever yelled at you. Yes. Dang right. (laughs) You're standing in the travel agent's office deciding where you want to go. You think of the silly boy, David Merrill, who jumped off a bridge when you said you wouldn't marry him. (laughs) Noticing a theme here. Huh. Listen to me, David pleaded pitifully, blocking your way into the garden. Why have you been avoiding me? It is driving me mad. Why have you changed? You were so kind and so sweet to me. Then suddenly, after sweeping me up to the highest heavens, you dropped me into the deepest hell. That's oh, what we David, do. you said. How poetic. <laughs> Damn it, will you take me seriously? I love you when you are driving me insane. You gave a little laugh. <laughs> How theatrical you are, you said. You're play acting, David. You really could make your fortune on the stage. And what would this desperate act be? I'm curious. There was silence for a moment. Then David Merrill said solemnly, If you want to know the truth, I have considered jumping into the river. (laughs) How banal, you said. (laughs) I thought at least you would think of something original. Throwing oneself off a cliff or into a river is what all lovelorn swains threaten, but never do. Hey. Wow. (laughs) Well, how could you have known that he would actually try? If the shoe fits. (laughs) And that the publicity from the jump would scandalize both his and your families. You have no guilt over what the poor boy did. It just confirms what you finally said to him. I despise you because the love you offer me is not worth having, you told him, seeing the words wow. cut like a knife into his soul. You're a bitch. Yeah, we're yeah. So cool. yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> we're savage. I like it. Indeed, oh, wait, there, there's more. You're weak and brainless, or else you would find something better to do with your life than trying to end it. If I ever marry, which is most unlikely, (laughs) let me tell you it will be to a man who can stand on his own two feet. A man who will take what he wants from life and not collapse at every setback. David clenched and unclenched his fists in frustration, but only said, If that is what you feel about me, then there is nothing more to be said. Nothing, you agreed. So in the future, leave me alone. Find someone else to whine to. Some women like yapping lapdogs. God. I now want a living campaign of this, a <laughs> legacy game where, like, that man has now committed suicide. <laughs> Rip up his card and remove him from the game. There's potential there. Upon reflection, you realize that you were a little hard on him, but he had to be told in no uncertain terms that your relationship was over. Men are only amusing before they fall in love, not after. David was in love with you when he was a dreadful bore. You wanted excitement. You wanted thrills. That's the real reason why you were standing. deserve it. I know. (laughs) That's the real reason why you're standing in a travel agent's office booking passage to somewhere, anywhere, that adventure calls. You have two choices. You can go to the Caribbean, where your father will never find you. (laughs) Or you can go to Monte Carlo and take the risk of being sighted by one of your father's friends. We can get to Monte Carlo on our annuity. The Caribbean will have to wait a whole turn to get to. Yeah, Monte Carlo. Monte Carlo. I, I, I feel like gambling. You know, why not just add you some more You should be aware that either way, your annuity is cut in half. Whoa! <laughs> this is totally unacceptable. We need to speak to our father. Clearly Monte Carlo then. I yeah. like how Joe and Jason's character is like the exact opposite of us, Frank. We spend three money to move to Monte Carlo. Your next paragraph will be 245. We collect our pittance. Do you have high society? We do. We do. Okay, so you can collect your full annuity this turn. Yeah. Only. Ah. And then draw a fake card. 
Wait, so their annuity is cut in half for the rest of the game? Until their story tells them otherwise. Huh. You may give up to five shillings to any player. <laughs> Our character <laughs> would not do that. That's really weird because that implies we're all trying to help each other find true love. Nope. I'm definitely not helping any of you. Clearly. Well, that's because you're a stone cold bitch. I mean, look at okay, my Jason. picture. Like, it actually applies. It's perfect. Yeah, it's like, yeah. She's pretty great. Hand Who on are we her giving hip? her five shillings to? I don't have, think we have any friends but ourselves. Nevada, turn two. As you pull away from the gentleman, you lose your balance and fall into the river. The water is cold and swift, and you are quickly dragged under into the blackness. So this is death, you think. <laughs> Suddenly, strong arms are around you, pulling you up. You can hear your voices, and then you feel the warmth of someone's breath forcing air into your lungs. Later, you do not know how much later. You open your eyes. The gentleman is standing over you with a glass in his hand. Ah, you're awake. It looks like I've ruined my suit after all. Although he is a stranger, you feel safe with this gentleman who saved your life. Lord Dorrington, for that is his name, has brought you to an inn near the bridge. And as you sit by the fire, you tell him the terrible fate your mother has planned for you. Mama is determined that I marry the prince. I think that he must have promised to help her in some way. Why does this prince frighten you so much? I wish I knew. I tell myself that it is stupid and childish, and yet every time he comes near me, I feel as if there was a cobra in the room. There is a power in him, something almost hypnotic. And you told your mother quite firmly that you would not marry the prince? I told her I would rather die than do so, but she's merely replied that since Papa is in the east with his regiment, she has the power and authority to arrange my marriage. I have no say in the matter. There's a moment of silence while Lord Dorrington considers the matter. What time is it? It is a quarter to midnight. And my mother is to announce my marriage at midnight! If I'm not back in the ballroom in a few minutes, they will come looking for me. You pick up the hem of your ruined gown and rush to the door. You then stop and look back at Lord Dorrington. You must go away and forget that you've ever seen me. Are you really so cowardly that you would run from the first battle? I cannot believe that your father would be very proud of you at this moment. You have two choices. You can run to meet your mother back at the party, or you can go with Lord Darrington, who, against his better judgment, will help you escape. So, again, I want to just point out, he brought us to an inn, not his own personal chateau. Just, just a ding against him. Yeah, totally. I just want to know more about this prince. I think it's Dracula. For reference, <laughs> if you escape with him, you escape with him to his country chateau. <laughs> Good to know. But, again, also, not marrying a prince... Sounds like privilege problems. Yeah, really. Well, we're clearly spoiled. Let's run the hell away from him. I'm totally with that. So you go back to your mother. Uta, turn two. You had always hated the Duke for the way he treated your brother-in-law. But now that you and Mary Rose have been forced to come to his castle, your feelings have grown to positive loathing. Mary Rose is excited at the prospect of living in a castle. Now that it is in sight, some of the excitement rubs off on you. You expected it to be magnificent, but not as large and impressive as it actually is. Now you understand why it dominated Ian's childhood and indeed his whole life. I love a man the, with a large and impressive tower. The huge stone wall is extremely high, and towers, which must have concealed hundreds of soldiers, stand at intervals along the wall. Mary Rose looks around excitedly as Mr. Mickey points out the clock tower, the falconer's tower, the posner's towers, 
and the Constable's Tower. You too are impressed, but you think back to your brother-in-law's manor house with its threadbare carpets and curtains and the two inferior horses in the stable. (laughs) Injustice always makes me very angry, you say to no one in particular. The Duke is rich with a castle in Scotland, estates around the world, and even a private train while his brother had to count every penny. It's just not fair. (laughs) For your approach, a red carpet has been laid down the steps and on each side of it. Servants stand dressed in their kilts and wearing coats emblazoned with crests silver buttons. You enter the main hall, climbing a wide stone staircase, with angular horns hung on the walls and tattered flags that were captured in battle. There you stop, staring at the duke. You expected him to be impressive. You were sure that because Ian resembled him, he would be handsome, but never thought he would be quite so magnificent (laughs) or so overpowering. Dressed in a kilt, he seemed to be a giant of a man, well over six feet tall. He looks imperious, authoritative, and reserved. Or perhaps the right word is cold. There is nothing warm or human about him. You can see that he could undoubtedly be ruthless and cruel. Oh, yeah. Just the kind of man Joe and uh, Jason's character would like. (laughs) Yep. We'd get along great. You have three choices at this point. You can be quiet and not complain. Meek, mousy. You can confront the Duke with his arrogance and impertinence. Or you can wait until the time is right and sneak away with Mary Rose. After all, how can she expect to grow up in such a cold and hostile environment? Oh, is your story going to be one of two? Or you can go to London and try to fight this horrible duke in the courts. I haven't established that he's quite that horrible yet. I think I'm going to show some spunk and gumption and mouth off to him. Oh, here you go. Oh my goodness. Well, if I'm lucky, I'll get a spanking. (laughs) No, that's that's for Joe and Jason. (laughs) Also, yes. Punishment of a vixen, I remember. If you fight him next turn, read paragraph 122. Oh, in case, case, draw fake. General strike in Europe. All rail movement outside England is suspended for one turn. Ooh. Everyone has gotten to where they want to go. Glad we're gambling. Yeah, really. Alina, turn three. Joe, how many more suitors do you think we get get to kill themselves? (laughs) At least three. I get the impression he didn't actually kill himself. I think he just jumped. Well, yeah, because he's too boring and come up with a good death. Who knew that a Barbara Cartland game had such a high body count? (laughs) (laughs) Arriving in the south of France. You immediately go to a friend's villa by the sea. It is a nice place, made more pleasurable by a modern bathroom. You developed a taste for baths when you visited America. God, you're so spoiled. Mm -hmm. American. In Europe, especially in England, the choice is usually between a hip bath in one's bedroom with brass cans of water dragged up innumerable stairs by sweating servants, or a bathroom situated at the end of a long, cold corridor where it takes hours for the hot tap to produce anything but tepid water. That sounds gross. I don't like it. After the bath, you dress for dinner. You pick a white wrap over a white gown, which makes you look as pure and perfect as a field of lilies. The restaurant is down by the harbor, which is filled with yachts. As you sit and eat your dinner, a handsome stranger walks into the restaurant. He is powerfully built, with dark hair and dark, penetrating eyes. Bet you we can get him to kill himself. (laughs) (laughs) He scans the room for a moment, and then he enters. You realize he is coming to your table. Good sign. May I join you? He says politely. Who are you? You say one eyebrow cocked high. I'm Tyrone Strom, he answers, sitting down. 
The name seems familiar. Then you remember the article you read about a famous gentleman explorer and adventurer with the same name. You look at him, deliberately dropping your gaze to seem more young, shy, and enticing. <laughs> Can you be the famous Mr. Strom, whose exploits are shrouded in mystery? Tyrone Strom just waves his hand. There are those who exaggerate my adventures. There's something in his smile which you do not like. He seems to be mocking you very subtly. Oh, we do not like this. I would love to hear about them just the same, you say. Perhaps you and your chaperone would like to have dinner with me tomorrow night on my yacht? He asks. I have no chaperone. She was sick and could not come, you say. <laughs> Tyrone Strom smiles. Then it is agreed. You will come to my boat tomorrow night? Someone's a little presumptuous. You have two choices. You can accept Mr. Strom's invitation, or you can avoid him and prepare to flee to the Caribbean. Can I slap him just for good measure? Do you have high society? We, we do. do. Then you may choose a paragraph and read it this same turn. Ooh. We could go to the Caribbean, but all the trains are down. So we may as well just visit this guy's boat. <laughs> I mean, it is a yacht. Maybe we can steal something. Right. <laughs> you can travel the Caribbean by sea. Yeah, that's not a Oh, train. that's true. Yeah, but like it'll take it'll us. It'll still take you forever. Yeah. It'll take us like it's one, two, three, four, right four five spaces away, they which is fifteen shillings. Yes. We only get three shillings a turn. I'd also like to point out this man slighted you. Now you yeah. have to make him kill now himself. Now we have to make him kill himself. <laughs> it's not our goal. All right, death by revolver. Yes. That's that's a, a stutter for nothing less. <laughs> okay, so you're going to his yacht. Yes. Oh yes. Uh, so we get three annuity. Uh, no, no this is still this... your same turn. Same okay. turn. Yeah. So looking forward to this. Tyrone Strom picks you up in a beautiful carriage drawn by two perfectly matched horses. When you reach the harbor, you expect a huge yacht filled with servants, so you're a little disappointed by his boat's small size. Ugh. Instead of being all white, as are those belonging to rich French, English, and Italian owners, his yacht, the Moulet, has a prow of black picked out with gold. She also has a black line above the watermark and appears longer, thinner, and more graceful than any of the other yachts moored near her. You're looking exceedingly attractive. I mean, uh, naturally, that's every day. You spent the better part of the afternoon getting ready. You're wearing a gown of white muslin, trimmed with turquoise blue ribbons slotted through broderie anglais. Your wide-brimmed hat is decorated with the same ribbons and bunches of forget-me-nots. You look the epitome of the innocent young girl. Which we are as far as he knows. The steward is a Chinaman. Mm. And your host speaks a word of what you suspect is Chinese to him. Why do you not employ English stewards, you say? All of my crew are Chinese or Malayan, Tyrone Strom replies. They are excellent seamen and can adapt themselves to almost any situation. We are not usually moored anywhere so luxurious as this harbor. Where has your yacht come from? Why should you be interested, he inquires. You laugh. You are treating me as if I were a spy. Do you think I might perhaps be employed by the Russians? I think you look too obviously dangerous for anyone who meets you not to be forewarned and forearmed, Tyrone Strom replies. Ooh, he's Did got your a guy. number. <laughs> Are you paying me a compliment? If you'd like to make it one. You're dueling, and you're enjoying it. But before too much longer, the steward returns, carrying a tray on which there are two handleless china cups set in holders of wrought gold decorated with turquoise. As the steward pours the thick, sweet coffee, Tyrone Strom speaks. I have taught my chef how to make coffee in the proper Turkish fashion, black as the devil, hot as hell, and sweet as love. How many times have you been in love, you ask provocatively. If I reply never, Tyrone Strom replies, you would not believe me. While I have a feeling that if I answer many times, you will be even more inquisitive than you are already. Do you really believe that love is sweet, you ask? It depends with whom one is in love, Tyrone Strom replies. Ah, you're as bad as the young boy I left. Love is an emotion which I shall never feel and which I despise and dislike. 
And I'm just going to say that right out loud to your face. And then we just push him into the ocean. <laughs> no, revolver. Revolver. You're right, revolver. Do you have a gun? <laughs> ah, you mean David Merrill. Yes. Wait, how did you know I meant David, you ask? Tyrone Strom, with a self-satisfied smile on his face, refills your cup. You then notice that he hasn't touched the coffee. Uh oh. I'm David Merrill's uncle. Uh oh. Oh no. You draw in your breath. Suddenly you feel very hot. You see, after the scandal at home, I felt that I should teach you a lesson which has been lacking from your education. Here comes the spanking. Your face is flushed and you find it difficult to talk. You try to stand, but instead you fall forward on the sofa and black out. Oh Brilliant. goodness. You have been drugged. Oh boy. Tyrone Strom is kidnapping you. It was a potion. You have no decisions at this point, but <laughs> must follow his orders. Go to Athens for paragraph 205. You know what I love? You've been drugged and you've blacked out, yet you still have to pay for your trip <laughs> yes, to Athens. It says specifically, although you're kidnapped, Tyrone Strom forces you to pay your way from Wow. <laughs> and draw a fate card. Give the player of your choice an extra turn. I like reading paragraphs, so they will get an extra turn. Okay. Nevada, turn three. You start to go back to the party in your ruined dress, but you cannot face your mother. Instead, you sneak around to the front and convince one of the waiting cabs to take you home. There, you rush upstairs, tears streaming down your face. You've reached the bottom, the depths of despair. Which wasn't suicide, apparently. Tired and cold, <laughs> you only want to sleep until tomorrow, when you know that you and your mother will have a terrible row. But your mother is too angry to wait. Wake up. I have a great deal to say to you. There's no escape now. You are trapped in your own room. How dare you? How dare you behave in such a manner? Do you realize you made the prince look like a complete fool standing there waiting for your appearance? I cannot marry the prince. I do not love him. I hate him. There is something about him that makes my flesh creep. I would rather die than let him touch me. You will marry him if I have to drag you screaming to the altar steps. And stop defying me. Your no good father gives us nothing. Scurrying off to a far concerns of the world and leaving me with such a miserable pittance of a stipend that I have to resort to gambling. Mama! Does that shock you? How else do you think the school fees are paid or the house in Paris is paid for? What little money I have comes from gambling and from the men who are kind enough to pay me for the amusement I can give them. So if you think I'm going to turn down the prince's generous offer for your hand in marriage, you are sadly mistaken. Your mother then provides a small cup with a white liquid in it. Her tone softens and she sits at the edge of the bed. I'm sorry to yell at you, my dear, but running this household while your father is away is a great burden. Here, drink this potion the prince gave me. It will calm your nerves. What do you do? You can drink the potion or you try to spit it out after your mother leaves, then escape. But where can you go? Then you remember the card that the stranger on the bridge gave you. Lord Darrington, maybe he can help. You now have a third opportunity to choose to start the game. <laughs> I mean, Frank, I am horrified at the idea of drinking a cup of strange white liquid. Our mother is trying to poison us. Like... I like that your mother's a gambling whore. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> I rely on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> I, we we simply can't, Frank. We just yeah. simply can't. I think you're I think you're kind of invested at this point. I think you should drink the potion. No. I like that it's not even like a a drink or a liquid. It's a potion. She like <laughs> Poured it out of some glass stoppered vial. I mean, she she definitely brewed it in our kitchen cauldron. Like, I mean, Frank, what what do we do? No, we do not drink it. We slap it out of our hands and call her a hussy and run. I don't think that's an option. Well, well, what is the option? So, if you trust your mother and drink the potion, we will read paragraph one ninety. 
come on. If you go to Lord Dorrington's estate and go to the country chateau, you read paragraph 230. I think we're doing 230. In either case, draw a fate card. Meet father's partner. He insists on taking you out for the evening. Lose one turn. If you have charm, ignore this card. And we are charming. Our mother might be a witch. Have we considered that our mother is just a straight up witch? Uh, A gambling whore witch. Ooh, yes. Nevada, turn three. Driving through the countryside towards his estate, you sleep against his shoulder. Lord Dorrington is well aware that he has embarked upon an extremely indiscreet adventure. He is committing himself to a course of action which is not only foolhardy, but reprehensible. But after listening to what happened to you, he feels entirely justified in what, to all intents and purposes, is an action of honor. When you awaken, the carriage is already on the ground of his estate. But instead of riding up to the main house, the carriage pulls up to a small gray stone house set in the middle of a thickly forested part of the grounds. It would be safer if you stayed here. Your reputation must be maintained at all costs. As he haps you out of the carriage. The next few days fly by. Lord Dorrington brings meals to you personally, and the two of you talk until dawn. One day, Lord Dorrington comes with more than supper. He comes with a plan. You realize you must leave here. You gaze down at the floor. I know. My mother must be tearing up the countryside looking for me. I cannot jeopardize you any longer. I will go back immediately. Lord Dorrington smiles. I don't want to send you back to your mother, but to my sister, at least, until I can find your father. That's impossible. He is in Egypt with his regiment, the guards. He was in Egypt. Now he is in Athens. It was in the paper today. That's wonderful, you cry. I'm sure Papa will listen to my plight. I do not intend for you to go. It is much too dangerous for you. I will go and speak to your father. I shall send you to my sister's home in Amsterdam. You have two choices. You can go to Lord Dorrington's sister in Amsterdam, or you can insist on going with him to Athens. Frank, what do you think? We'd definitely be safer in the company of women, obviously. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think Amsterdam, then. Yeah, I think we're way too meek to go with a man. On yeah, a man's we can't quest go anywhere this turn thanks to that stupid rail strike. I can't wait to see that Lord Dorrington is a serial killer. This is going to be great. If you go to his sister's, draw a fate card, then go to Amsterdam, which is paragraph 204. Our fate card reads, Letter of Introduction. If you have high society, which we do not, we would get to give a player a turn, but we don't, so... Sorry, Brian. Nevada can't give you an introduction to the barrister that she knows. Ugh. Uta, turn three. So the rail strikes over. Okay. I am on 122. After a few days, your antagonism towards the Duke is quite apparent, and the showdown you have been expecting has finally come. You walk into the drawing room, feeling a chill of anticipation. Perhaps you should sit down. If I do, I hope your grace will do the same. You are so tall that I shall feel that you are overpowering me even before we speak. Is that what you are expecting me to do? I am afraid so. But let me add that I am far from being ready to capitulate. Before or after a shot has been fired, there is a faint twist of his hips as the Duke says. Lips. I was going to say, <laughs> like, wow, that's wow, this real weird. super <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Sorry, let's try that again. No, we're leaving it. That's great. There's a faint twist of his lips before the Duke says. Are you telling me? you intend to do battle but of course there really does not seem to be any reason for us to be at loggerheads the duke says i should have thought that mary rose was a very good reason she is reason enough as far as i am concerned so you have shown me said the duke almost under his breath when i see the style in which you live and remember how ian had to count every penny he spent i find it very difficult to believe that mary rose would be happy here amongst people who were not only insensitive but cruel 
I imagine you're referring particularly to me. That is for you to judge. As your feelings toward me are very obvious, can I really believe that you are the right person to teach Mary Rose the tolerance and understanding? She will need to deal with our clan. Ooh, Brian, you've got a little sparring competition going here as well. Maybe he can kidnap you. Although the interview ends... You and the Duke are still at an impasse. This time he has decided to see if you will make the next move. You have two choices. To continue the antagonism, refusing to leave Mary Rose to him, and refusing to allow any other teachers to approach her, or to find out more about the Duke in hopes you can find a weak spot in his armor. Oh no, I'm going to find out what Oh, wait, wait, wait. If you have charm or resourcefulness, you may immediately read paragraph 141 or paragraph 167. So those are not my two... No, 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 no. No, those are just this immediately is, read, then return to the paragraph. you get a decision with some bonus information. Uh, I'll look at 167. Wow, I hate to say it, but I actually think I really <laughs> like that mechanic. That's kind of neat. 167. You learn the real reason why the Duke never contacted Ian after their father died. On his deathbed, their father made the Duke swear on a dirk, the most solemn and sacred vow any Scotsman could take, that he would not get in touch with Ian, because Ian had betrayed the clan by marrying an Englishwoman. Knowing how much the ideals and traditions of the clan mean to a man like the Duke, you do not think it's possible for him to have broken a vow made in such a circumstance. So, you have two choices. Refuse to let anyone near Mary Rose or decide to find out more about the Duke. Both lead to paragraph 104. (laughs) But, but, we're not done. Brian, do you have resourcefulness? I do not. Okay, then you may not do that. Okay. Or you may bribe one servant to find out the mysteries of the past of the Duke. If you choose either, which would, in your case, only be bribing, learning more about the duke or staying with mary rose you may pay five shillings to the bank to next turn read paragraph 152 oh yeah no if there are secrets i want to find them out oh yeah i want to get to the bottom of this so 152 for next turn yeah bribing servants listen nothing is too good for my niece this is her future we're talking she's english what do you expect alina turns four all right where are you two zero five our dear little kidnapped vixen You open your eyes. Your head feels heavy and your mouth is very dry. Purse feels very light. As you look around, you cannot place where you are. Then you realize you must be on Tyrone Strom's yacht. Looking out of the portal, you see nothing but sea. Against one wall is the great mound of your luggage. Still shaky, you stand up and look over your things. Everything has been packed beautifully. Someone must have made excuses for your sudden departure. You look for your handbag. It is on top of the luggage... And with a little smile, you feel the steel of the revolver tucked away in its secret compartment. I love this character so much. Oh my god. (laughs) As you hide the pistol in your dress, you think how Tyrone Strom will regret the day he crossed you. (laughs) You make your way to the saloon, where Tyrone Strom is seated at a desk. I think, Mr. Strom, you say coldly, you had better tell me what you think you were doing before I order you to turn your yacht around and take me to Monte Carlo. I'm going to Athens to finish off some loose ends, and then I am taking you to Africa. You need to be taught an important lesson. To Africa? You exclaim in astonishment. Of course, said Tyrone Strom. Your friends back in port think you are on your way back to America. It is all written in a letter you left them after leaving early this morning. You wrote a letter and signed it with my name? Your handwriting is quite easy to copy. Oh! (laughs) Man, this guy's got some skills. How dare you behave in such a manner to me? How dare you hurt and betray my nephew, David? I have decided to teach you not to hurt other young men as you have hurt him. 
David survived. Others might not be so lucky. <laughs> You're ridiculous, you cry. Absurd. Men are perfectly capable of looking after themselves. If not, they should not call themselves men. Precisely. That is true where ordinary women are concerned, said Tyrone Strom coldly. But you are not ordinary. You are cruel, hard-hearted, and I am almost inclined to think evil. <laughs> You have a number of options Ooh, at this point. Of course we do. Shoot him in the face. You can relax and not fight your abduction in order to lull Tyrone Strom into a false sense of security. <laughs> or you can pull your pistol out and order him to turn the boat around. Or if you have charm. We do not. Nope. <laughs> We're not charming. So you can go along with him, which involves going to Tunis, or you can pull your revolver. Um, I feel like lulling him into a false sense of security and then killing him in his sleep would be the yeah, way to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, I think like pulling the revolver on him now, he'll just overpower us. He's a strong man. Yeah. You know. Now we want to play our hand too early. You know? Yeah, yeah like, exactly. I agree. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to Tunis? Yep. And your next paragraph will be 240. Oh, I can't wait to shoot this also, guy. didn't y'all sail through Tunis to get to Athens? Yes. <laughs> Could this guy make up his mind? <laughs> no. He was tying up loose ends. He's a gentleman adventurer. Mike. Fair enough. Nevada turns four. Where are we going, Mike? All right. So are we in we're just Amsterdam? No, they can't get oh, there. That, that's lame. Uta turns four. All right, so I'm going to 152 and seeing what the servants can tell okay, me. Okay, Miss Locked Up in a Castle. She I'm could staying here of wants. my own volition. You pay the bribe to the servant who tells you that the Lady Rannoch disappeared in Rome while the Duke and the Duchess went to visit the Duchess's sister, Lady Morong. Lady Morong is married to an Italian prince, but it is no secret that she really loved the Duke and hated her sister for taking him away from her. Mm. Next turn, read paragraph 104. Elena, turn five. Is he sleeping yet? Can we kill him? I do love the different personalities we have developed here. <laughs> well, I mean, we're pretty much given personalities with the text. I'm okay with that. Uh, I think Joe and the I earned that personality. Is, mm-hmm. Yep. We're about to earn it's it. It's surprisingly blood. good. It's actually the best paragraph writing I've seen. I have to wonder did Barbara Cartland actually write the paragraphs? Oh, these are original Barbara Cartland stories adapted by these authors. So this is probably straight out of the books. Excellent. Okay. Okay. In Tunis, you disbark at a small port. Tyrone Strom is dressed in the magnificent flowing garments of a sheik. His sirwal, or trousers, end with tapering legs hugging his calves above red leather riding boots. His head is covered with a white turban, which you know is worn by the more important Berber chieftains, because you're apparently also a student of uh, Islamic culture. Sure. Strapped to his left side with a red silk cord is a Moorish dagger in a jewel-studded sheath. You are dressed in the traditional Arab costume of Litham and Haik. Your captor had ordered you to put the costume on. Now you stand on the deck watching a procession of slow-moving camels against a flat, stony wasteland, mile upon mile of gravel-strewn country without vegetation. But it has in itself a strange beauty. The landscape can change its hue from dead gray to orange brass and copper brown to pure ochre. You debark from the ship and mount camels. A group of Arabs accompanies you and Tyrone Strom. Without much fanfare, you begin traveling. The trip seems to go on forever. There's no change in the scenery. Suddenly, Tyrone Strom rides up to you and orders you to get off your camel. I have something to show you. You ride toward a little heap on the ground. As you draw nearer, you see large white bones, then a human skull. Tyrone Strom stops. You thought it would be interesting to see a dead man, he says. Well, here's one. He is murdered, and Moorish custom prohibits the burial of a victim until after vengeance has been taken on his murderer. You see the skeleton lying full length where he fell. 
The vultures have plucked the flesh from his bone so that his lipless teeth seem to grin in his skull with its empty eye sockets. You give a little gasp and turn away, but Tyrone Strom reaches out and catches hold of your wrist. I want you to look at this man, he says, his voice hard and contemptuous. Think of him as he was. Young, virile, optimistic, perhaps ambitious, and very probably in love. He pulls you a little closer we as he says, <laughs> Now he is dead. Look at what is left of him. Let me go! You find the idea of death amusing, Tyrone Strom goes on. <laughs> Yes. To me, it is a pitiable waste when it comes too soon. A waste that a young man must die because of the greed of an assailant or the cruelty of a woman. You cannot bear to look at the skeleton. Tyrone Strom's condemnation is as horrible as the fleshless bones and empty sockets where eyes had once looked at life with curiosity. Had you really mocked death? Had you really incited David to try to take his life? It all seems to have happened a long time ago. Yet, if he had died, you know now you would never have been able to forgive yourself. Or forget. Not don't, seeing a don't lot of that. bread on these faces. Sudden, sudden, sudden uh, <laughs> no. personality change. There. What, what did he throw this with? Like the quivering of the touch when he grabs your wrist. Well, sure. Are you resourceful? We are. We are. Then you may immediately read your next paragraph, which is too Excellent. Fixed. The next paragraph will say, nope, never mind. I don't give a shit about death. <laughs> you and Tyrone Strom travel over the vast wastes of Tunis. He knows everything about the people in the lands, and you beg to hear more. Beg? Sure. I don't see us begging. Well, you're a big fan of Islamic studies. We've remember, remember, you're also playing That's true. Meek, so he drops oh, his guard. Oh, fascinating. Tell us more. You talk and ride for a long time. Suddenly, you see what seems to be a fortified town. It is a colossal construction, surrounded by ramparts of various heights and sizes. It tops a slight elevation, and the buildings are all bristling with high crenellated ramparts from which massive towers protrude here and there. It is a kasbah, the home of the chieftain of the tribe and his followers, servants, and anyone who owes him allegiance. The kasbah is not just a habitation, however, but a little principality, a self-sufficient domain that provides most of the things necessary for daily life, except tea, coffee, and sugar. After you enter the bastion, Tyrone Strom leaves you to the ministrations of the sheik's women, who wash and groom you. Servant girls feed you a soup known as harira, which is a meal in itself. It contains chicken, dried mutton, chickpeas, parsley, ginger, onions, and saffron. <laughs> if you need that recipe for later. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put it in the show notes. Great. <laughs> when these ingredients are well cooked, they are mixed with a platter of rice seasoned with spices. Tomatoes, bread yeast, and eggs are added to it. Still going. The meal is followed by the inevitable mint tea and traditional Moorish sweetmeats made of honey and almonds. We're entering Games of Throne meal Pretty much. <laughs> Later, you go to watch the dancing. You are taken to a terrace enclosed with white lattice work which circles all sides of a huge open courtyard. In the courtyard, you see Tyrone Strom looking arrogant and proud. How dare he force you to peep at him through the lattice work. Messieurs, you cry to the crowd of men below. I have been brought here against my will. If any of you will escort me to the nearest British or French consulate, I will reward you with any sum of money you wish to ask. Uh, how about six shillings? <laughs> the sheiks just look at you. Then one of them leans over to Tyrone and speaks in his ear. Tyrone shakes his head, but the man persists. Tyrone waves his hand and smiles, but the Arab is not amused. Tyrone Strom speaks. They do not understand you. But the gentleman beside me has offered me a camel and four sheep for you. <laughs> he says he likes women with spirit. It amuses him to beat it out of them. <laughs> wow. Amazing. All right, then. Wow. The next day, you and Tyrone leave the Casbah at dawn. He does not explain why, just that you must leave quickly. You travel for a long while until you are groggy from the monotonous terrain and rhythmic bouncing of the camel. Then Tyrone Strom shakes you violently. Get down and hurry. What? Silence, says Tyrone as he helps you down. There are horsemen approaching. They might be servants of the sheik who offered to buy you last night. A white woman is an attraction in this part of the world. Later in the evening, he increased the amount he was prepared to pay for you. 
Wow. Maybe you shouldn't have brought us here. Culturally inappropriate. <laughs> Seems like this is your fault. Yeah. <laughs> As he speaks, he searches for his revolver. Damn, he says. My revolver fell out of my holster. Grimly, he pulls the double-edged knife from its sheath. Then he pulls you down against the rocks. You mean to fight them? If I have to. It will mean bloodshed and death, but doubtless you will find that interesting. Death, you say? <laughs> Please, don't say that again, you plead in a low voice. You've punished me enough for what I said to David without thinking. I shall never forget that skeleton we saw. <sighs> you have a number of choices. When the horsemen attack, you may try to flee both them and Tyrone Strom. You know that you are close to the port of Tunis and the French settlement there. Or you can hide among the rocks during the ensuing fight. If you still have your gun, yeah. you may give it to Tyrone Strom to help him fight the Berbers. Mm, can't we? If you have resourcefulness, you we may do. flee. Or you can hide or you can give him the gun. Tyrone Strom is, is hot, right? Mm. So, like, we're going to give him the gun now because when we take our final revenge on him, it will be all the sweeter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Again. Again, Jason. I like what you're thinking. Don't forget the plan. He's got to shoot himself That's with true. the revolver. Right. Now he's got a gun. Us. It right. has to be right. that. Right. Okay. Right. I, we're going to give him the gun. I got distracted. Have you guys, have you guys ever read a romance novel? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so next turn you are going to be yeah. 238. I think it's obvious that we're going to end up with Tyrone Strom. Sure. I mean, like, duh. Right. If our choices are him or the sheik, I think uh, <laughs> we made the right decision. I mean, do you get to keep the camels and the goat? I think so. <laughs> Nevada, turn five. Joe, we are on 204 in Amsterdam. When you arrive in Amsterdam, you are met by Lord Dorrington's sister, Elizabeth Wardell. The two are not the least alike. While Lord Dorrington is classically handsome... Elizabeth Wardell has a kind of elfin loveliness which could be better described as pretty rather than beautiful. My brother, Ulrich, wrote all about you in his letter. He said that the two of us will like each other. I hope so, you say. Lord Dorrington has instructed you to stay here until he contacts your father. You have no choice. Anyway, Ulrich Dorrington's sister is a wonderful person and you are having too much fun to want to go anywhere. You never had a companion of your own age to talk to and laugh with. The experience shows you that there is something good in life. Your darkest despair has lifted. Next turn, read paragraph 189. Draw a fate card. Sickness, lose one turn. Aww. If you have resourcefulness, <laughs> ignore this card. Aww. Uta, turn five. You have been out late at night searching the library in the castle at Edinburgh for any clue to the mysterious duke. Is there a secret passage? His friend, the Earl, has been helping you, but he has also declared that he is hopelessly in love with you. You like him, but you do not feel the same way as he does, especially since your position here in the castle is so precarious. Already you sense that the Duke has noticed the Earl's attentions towards you. You were walking down the corridor unhurriedly, but thinking about the Duke, when suddenly at the other end of the passage you see a tall figure. For a moment, because there is so little light, it is difficult to distinguish the figure before you, and yet, with a frightened leap of your heart, you guess who it is. You become self-conscious knowing how strange you must look in your floating blue robe, your hair hanging loose over your shoulders. You come to within a few feet of him, and looking up, you sense that he is angry and you face him squarely on the tartan carpet. Where have you been? <laughs> All right, now we're probably He discovered punished. an accent. <laughs> he speaks so harshly, indeed roughly, that you are scared. Everything you were going to say seems to go out of your head. I have... You begin. Do not bother to lie. The answer to my question is obvious. I thought you were different. You lift your head to look up at him questioningly. I do not... You begin again. But now the Duke asks furiously in a voice that seems to vibrate with anger. 
<laughs> vibrate, Frank. I'm vibrate. You to vibrate with anger, Frank. Have you had enough love making for tonight, or are you looking for more? <gasps> oh. <laughs> Shots fired. As he speaks, to your astonishment in one swift movement, he pulls you roughly into his arms as you give a little cry of protest. (gasps) His mouth comes down to yours. He kisses you brutally with lips that are hard and possessive. At first, you are a captive and you want to struggle and strike him. And yet, strangely, the fury and the fear you once felt fades. Now the cruelty is gone. Instead, his lips are more gentle, yet still possessive. I must free myself. I must struggle, you think. Then, even as you try to do so, you feel as if something that you have never known before is happening to you. You feel as if a warm wave were inexplicably, indefinably rising through your body, passing through your breasts, up your throat, and into your lips. Still bruised from the intensity of the Duke's kiss, the Duke's arms tighten around you, and the feeling in your throat grows into something wonderful, something incredibly like a rapture that seems to encompass you and ripple through you like waves of the sea. Then, just as suddenly as he had grabbed you, he releases you. You are free, and yet you cannot move. You cannot speak. You cannot even think. God damn you, he says hoarsely, (laughs) and his voice seems to come from the very depths of his being. And then he is gone, leaving you against the wall. The Duke has aroused a rapture in you, which even now does not seem credible. Yet it happened, and you were not able to fight against it. Instead, you acquiesced, finding an ecstasy which you had not expected, a rapture which you have never imagined to be possible. The next day, the Duke is gone. He left early in the morning, saying that he would be going to Paris. Then the Earl tells you he thinks the Duke has gone to Rome to try one more time to find out more about his missing wife. But why? I thought it would be obvious, says the Earl. You look at him questioningly. He loves you, girl, and it's tearing him apart. You have three choices. You can go to Paris and try to find the Duke, or you can go to Rome and try to find his missing wife, Nancy MacDonald, the Duchess of Rannoch, or you can stay here in Edinburgh and wait for his return. When do we give Brian the aroused status card? I'm so confused by these strange sensations. Brian, you are tearing him apart. How does he think I feel? So here's the thing. Mm -hmm. He clearly, you know, he has all the traits that a Barbara Cartland heroine looks for in her man. But there's a whole May-September thing going on. Sure. Well, he's not that old, I don't think. (laughs) I think... September. Honestly, I think I'm going to have to go try and find his late wife. I'm going to have to find some evidence that she's really gone so he can marry me in good conscience. In that case... That's um, headed to where? Athens? If you go to solve the mystery behind his wife's disappearance, get to Rome, Rome and read paragraph 111. Okay. In any case, your lovely fate card. Sea transit. The player of your choice does not have to pay for sea movement her next turn. I guess I couldn't use me. It's a gift. You give it to someone else. Yeah. yeah. All right. We'll help out the poor kidnapped bitch. Yay! <laughs> if you're moving we by We deserve sea, it. Alina, turn six... Speaking of poor kidnappage. 
Joe, Joe, we get to watch some murder now. I'm so excited. As you wait for the horseman to approach, you reach into your bag and feel the little revolver. Without a word, you press it into Tyrone Strom's strong hand. <laughs> he looks at you, stunned, then turns back to the horsemen who are searching the rocks in front of them. You feel more afraid than you have ever been in your life. Almost instinctively, you move closer to him, trembling convulsively. It's no use being an independent woman in a situation like this, you tell yourself. Wow. Wow. If you could, oh you would cling even closer to Tyrone Strong and hide your face against him so that you would not see what happens when the shooting starts. We've learned our lesson. God. But, but also, you can't do that. So you're definitely watching as the shooting starts. As, yes, more death. Kill them for me. <laughs> then, without warning, Tyrone fires four shots and there is a cry from one of the horsemen. A single answering shot returns, then Tyrone Strom fires one more round. There is a shout and the horsemen wheel away, riding like mad until they are over the horizon. Tyrone Strom relaxes and then slowly stands up. I'll retrieve the camels, he says. Will they return, you ask? Perhaps, says Tyrone Strom. They might have gone to get reinforcements. And if they do... There is silence for a moment, then Tyrone Strom says, You will have the choice of either going with them or dying by my hand. With our gun? That's not the way this is supposed to work. He's still got a bullet left. You reach the port of Torfat safely. Tyrone Strom makes arrangements for you to leave, but you do not want to go. There is so much to learn. How could you have known that there are parts of the world where men live by the gun? I mean, you could read a book. And that the important thing is to stay alive. And, and, and murder. <laughs> and murder, don't forget. Also, yes. You never realized how precious life is, or how difficult it could be to preserve it. Now it seems that you have cheapened something that is beyond price, beyond value, life itself, the mere act of breathing and being. And it is Tyrone Strom who, by his actions and example, has taught you this lesson. There is so much more that he could teach me. <laughs> you say softly to yourself. Sounds about right. <laughs> then, with the violent impact of a pistol shot, you realize that you love Tyrone Strom. You Wait, did you shoot him? Smitten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. right. No, no, you whisper. I hate him, hate and loathe him for the way he has treated me. But while your mind insists that you hate Tyrone Strom, your heart tells you the truth. And our nethers. You love him. <laughs> when Tyrone Strom returns, you plead your case. I, I, I want to stay here, you begin, but Tyrone Strom merely smiles. How can I make you understand? I know only too well what you think of me, but, but I have changed. I swear to you that I have changed. This is not a whim. This is not, as I feel you are thinking, a rich woman's desire for a new plaything. It is something that matters more to me than anything else ever has. Watching other people die. Decisions and directions. Go to Southampton. There's no choice involved here, which is uh, okay. free sea travel. You're welcome. Cool. Next turn, you will be paragraph 19 and draw a fate card. The poorest player receives five shillings That's from us. the bank. I have seven. We have six, we have more. six before we, have we get paid out. Many. 30 something? You have many. Yeah. Are we won the lottery? <laughs> we were gambling? That's great. How appropriate for us. We might have finally found our true love. Yeah, yeah I think we have. You found the man who can tame you. Yes. I, I definitely love. <laughs> Pretty much. Unlike, you know, Tales of the Arabian Nights, Joe and Jason's character has definitely gone through some character development here. <laughs> yes. Moses is like, suddenly you love him. You know, I'm not, I'm not calling it, uh, you know. No, no. It's a very, very sharp development, yes. but it is there. Uh, it's not quite mm. as sharp as Brian's was, where his whole body is quaking with desire. So. I'm excited to see where this goes. Do you see the power of a single kiss, Jason? I do now. <laughs> You've learned so much. Nevada, turn six. 
We were sick. We missed a turn. Oh, you are yep, sick. That's yeah. true. Yep. You're sick. Uta, turn six. Uh, I'm at 111. You go to Rome searching for the Duke's wife, but instead you find the Duke. You find him in Lady Meringue's palace, where the Duchess was last seen. Lady Meringue's not pleased to see you, but the Duke orders her to let you in. When you see him again, a terrible thrill goes through you. It is an indescribably wonderful feeling to see him again. He is standing in front of the fireplace at the far end of the room. It is a long walk to him. You feel your heart beating violently in your breast. And after one quick look, you can only lower your eyes, your lashes dark against your pale cheeks. I have to make him understand. I have to explain, you think. But before you can speak, the Duke says in a voice you can barely recognize, I want to apologize. You must forgive me. It seems that a very long time passes before you can look at the Duke. I have no excuse, he says, still in a low voice, except that you drove me insane with jealousy, and I thought in my madness that you'd been with the Earl. How could you think such a thing? You mean to sound angry, but your voice is breathless. Forgive me, the Duke says again. I understand. I only learned a few days ago how many people think you have committed murder. What do you think? No matter what I've said in the past, you say in a small voice, I do not think you could possibly hurt anyone. The Duke gives a cry of triumph and puts out his arm. Then, as if by superhuman effort, he drops them again. Then nothing else matters, except... You look at him with a puzzled expression. What to do about us? Us? You know that if it was possible, I would ask you to marry me. You feel as if the whole room were suddenly flooded with sunlight. Then, because the intensity of his voice leaves you with no words, you merely look at the Duke. His eyes hold you and you feel yourself trembling. You are enchanted. You feel as if a spell has been cast over the two of you that makes you forget everything but the love you feel for each other. You are no longer suspicious of your lover, and you forget the feuds and cruelty of the past. There is only a man and a woman who are caught up in something so primitive and yet so divine that nothing is of any consequence except you and the Duke belonging to each other. Damn, Brian. Talk to Lady Morag, who's the missing Duchess's sister. You can search the palace top to bottom, although this has been done a thousand times. If you have charm, I do. you can speak to the servants. If you have high society, you can talk to some of the neighbors. I have both of those, but I feel like talking to the servants is likely to and get And these are all next turn. Oh, yeah. so. Okay. Brian, you have been a woman of the people, okay? He needs to understand that servants are people, too. Fair enough. So I'll be speaking to the servants next turn. What's that number? 158. Alina, turn seven. Back home in England, your father gives his blessing to the marriage. That was easy. Does he give us our money back yet? Privately, you and Tyrone Strom embrace and kiss. His lips come down on yours fiercely, compellingly, demandingly. Oh. Then he releases you in... Compellingly? Yep. That's such a then weird release. What is it? What's wrong? There's nothing wrong, my adorable one. But you stopped kissing me. She says <laughs> petulantly. <laughs> that sounds like us, yes. <laughs> I'm going out, he says, smiling down. At I you. like the sound of this. We're going to be married, my darling, unless you want me to give you a baby without waiting for you to be my wife. <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, he's a little on the God nose. Damn. <laughs> Can we be married now? At once, you say? It will doubtless be according to the rites of the Church of Scotland, he replies. But I have a feeling it would be extremely dangerous for you to remain alone here with me tonight. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> he is laughing as he speaks. Am I still a vixen? You ask softly. You are adorable, fascinating, irresistible, he answers, and very much a woman. Oh. It is the answer you want, and you give a little sigh of happiness. I mean, I'm ready to prove it. <laughs> You're a woman, you murmur, for all time, and please, because I love you so very much and want you desperately, wildly, and very passionately, let us get married quickly. Then his lips come down on yours, and you surrender yourself to the rising fire which consumes you both. The end. Yay! Whoa! <laughs> we win romance. I, I will point out, though, your father never undid the pay cut. Yeah, we're still friends. Here's your three. <laughs> <laughs> Do we get to tell David the guy who almost killed himself that we married his uncle? <laughs> oh, please, yes. <laughs> we needed a real man. <laughs> Oh, man. Is there an epilogue we can read? Sadly, <laughs> so no. Great. I think you can write your own, though. I think it's better that way. So I feel like the others are probably pretty yeah, close to like an ending. Let's at least play them out. Joe and Jason officially won yeah. by learning how to submit to a man as you properly should. <laughs> Damn right. And to think you could have shot him with a gun. Mm. Oh, we should have. <laughs> Mistake. But now we can kill so many more people. That's true. That's true. We can with kill some more. Let's go back to Tunisia and <laughs> yeah. kill some heathens. Yeah, your teenage angst definitely me so has a body much. count. And we're still lulling him into a false sense of security. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Long con is long. Well, yeah, because once you've married him, then you get his money when yeah. he dies. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. It's true. Nevada, turn seven. We are paragraph 189. Lord Dorrington's trip to Athens was futile. And he has returned despondently to Amsterdam to give you the bad news that he could not reach your father. As Lord Dorinter approaches, he sees a picture of enchantment, which makes him stand still. The apple trees are in blossom and are silhouetted white as mountain snow against the blue sky. On the trunk of a fallen tree, you are sitting with his sister's son on your knee. You are wearing a pale green cotton gown, which Lord Dorrington recognizes as belonging to his sister. Over your shoulders, falling to below your waist, is a cloud of hair which reflects the sunlight like a glimmer of fire. When you see Ulrich Dorrington standing amid the oaks, he seems like a knight returning home from a long quest. There is a weariness in his eyes that sparks a pang of guilt in you over involving him in your problems. Still, he is your knight. Has he not saved you twice before? That night, after telling you of his failure, Lord Dorrington seems more moody than ever. Who knows what he is thinking? Finally, the moment you have dreaded arrives, he calls you into his study. I have been thinking. There is only one way which we would be completely safe from your mother. What is it? You should be married. How can you suggest such a thing? How can I possibly marry the prince? Yeah, the ellipses in here are really weirdly placed. So many you ellipses. Know I would rather... Die! The prince is not the only man in the world. I am suggesting that you should marry me. For a moment, the astonishment freezes you in place, and you stammer. But, but you, you've always said you did not want a wife. We have set off together on what we know was a desperate adventure. I do not think we can weaken now, however unusual the decision we have to make. The marriage is a secret affair. Lord Dorrington uses his personal chaplain to conduct the service. You are dressed in an enchanting white gown of gauze over a foundation of silver that shimmers as you move. There are silver ribbons under your breasts, and you wear silver slippers to complete the picture. The ceremony is simple and brief. In a matter of moments, you are married to Lord Dorrington. Although your marriage is legal, Lord Dorrington will never compromise your reputation. He merely prepares for both of you to leave for London to tell your mother of the marriage. But before he leaves, he gets word that your father's regiment is in Lisbon. But where do you go first? 
If you tell your mother, go to London. If you tell your father, go to Lisbon. Okay, I've got a couple notes here. First off, he's always said we've known him for like five paragraphs. Yeah. I just want to point that out. Second of all, did, did we just get shotgun married? Yes, this yes guy he is sure did. Definitely a murderer. He has a chaplain on retainer. I, Joe, I go and check his basement. Chaplain's like, this is your 12th wife, you know. <laughs> there are 11 keep, wife bodies down there. They keep dying. <laughs> so sad. So do we go back to the witch or... Lisbon? I want to see that confrontation Lisbon's so bad. We've got guns. to find our father. Yeah, yeah agreed. We've got to find our father. Yeah, He'll go, save us. Let's go to Lisbon. <laughs> Daddy will save us. I mean, it, he is a man. That's probably okay. what's going to work. Uh, do you go to Lisbon or paragraph 203? Either way, draw a fate card. Place your pawn next turn on any setting you want. Free of charge. Uta, turn seven. The only servant who was at the palace three years ago is Granny, an old woman who works in the kitchen. She is reported to be able to see visions. I feel that you can see things that other people cannot. Have you any idea where the Duchess might be? Many have asked that, Granny replies. But the pain and anguish of her passing blinds my eye. Pain and anguish, you question? The old woman does not speak, and after several moments, you ask in a trembling voice, Are you sure that she met her death violently? Again, there is silence. Then, at last, Granny says, Her spirit cries out for vengeance. You draw a breath. I was listening as I've listened before to her ladyship, crying for mercy. She received none, and... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. All right, non-secretary Granny's much. an old biblical type, you know. <laughs> you have two choices. You can talk to Lady Morag, or you can search the house. I mean, the house has been pretty thorough. Let's talk to Lady Morag. Paragraph 175. Okay. We are in Lisbon, and we're reading 203. Also, that last statement said that we're from England, because that's where mommy is. We had traveled to Venice to commit suicide? Nevada, turn eight. My daughter, cries your father. How good it is to see you again. Your father is exactly as you remember him, with his large mustache and good-natured but slightly befuddled manner. How he came to lead one of the most respected military units in Europe has always been a mystery to you. Oh my god, he's incompetent TV dad. He's Colonel Mustard. After learning the trouble you've had with Prince Kariz, he immediately sends men to arrest him. What? The prince tries to flee, but he is killed in the exchange of gunfire. <laughs> Outside of the prince's apartments. Your father then tells you that he has received a note from Lord Dorrington explaining everything. He advised you to go to Lord Dorrington in London. There is no need to hide your love for Lord Dorrington anymore. Now your father's agreed to protect you from your mother. From now on, you are free to love the man you want. Go to London. Read paragraph 196. Draw a fate card. Just a quick aside. What did the Count do that deserved to get him murdered? He was a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> also... Daddy, aren't you worried you just murdered a man? <laughs> no, no, no. His people murdered a man. Our fate card says the player of your choice does not have to pay for rail movement her next turn. We use our master transit papers to go straight to London and gain more money. Suck it, poor people. <laughs> Uta, turn eight. 175. You talk with Lady Meringue. Her apartments are atop a high tower that extends over the Terhirian Sea. You have a wonderful view, you exclaim. It is nice, says Lady Morag. She's a dark-haired beauty with hard, cold eyes that sends a shiver through you every time you look at them. <laughs> I have never been to the continent, you say, although I have read a lot about it. The Duke is especially kind to bring you here. He is a kind and gentle man, you say in a low voice, meaning every word. I am surprised, though. 
continues Lady Morag, why he tortures himself again by coming back here. Oh, he must find her, or her body. Lady Morag comes over and strokes your hair. But why, my dear? Her voice is filled with concern, but there's a false note somewhere in its tone. Because if she is dead, the Duke will marry me. Lady Morang visibly stiffens, and the smile freezes on her face. It is what you had expected. She leaves you and walks over to the window. After a moment, she laughs and then motions you over to her. Look, there's the Duke. You go over to the window, (laughs) but see nothing but the sea. Die! Die! (laughs) Screams Lady Morag. Just as Janet died, and no one will ever find you. Lady Meringue pushes you at the window. You feel yourself falling. Then, with a last desperate effort to save yourself, you stretch out your arms and grab a vine climbing up the side of the tower. It is only because you are fit and well, and your will compels your body to make the effort that you succeed in breaking your fall. Fall! Fall! You have to die! You shall not live. (laughs) You think of the Duke and how you have found the secret to his wife's death. Only if you remain alive can you save him. Because your love for him gives you strength, you scream, (laughs) Help! Help! You feel something bounce off the rocks near you. Lady Meringue is throwing something at you. (laughs) You are officially (laughs) outbitched. Someone must hear me, you think despairingly. Then you scream with pain as another stone hits you in the middle of your back. Then suddenly you hear a crash and Lady Meringue screams mournfully like a monster. Ah! In slow motion, she seems to hang for a moment on the lip of the window, then plunges to the rocks far below. For a moment, you think you're going to fall. But a strong hand closes on yours. You look up to see the Duke bringing you up to the safety of his arms. Decisions and directions. You're saved by the Duke. You and he can go home to Edinburgh in a happy married life. Go to Edinburgh and read paragraph 134. Sweet. Draw a fate card. So now we know the aroused status card let you have the strength to cry for help. clearly. (laughs) So uh, I will do all my free rail movement and then it's what, like one to Edinburgh, one C? Wait, isn't this the Duke's yeah. wife's sister? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Good. That doesn't Total make bitch. this weird. <laughs> Total bitch. Yep. Nevada, turn nine. Now we are together. Lord Dorrington says to you, his new wife, you belong to me and we must be very careful with each other for the rest of our lives. His voice deepens as he goes on. I love you. I love you so overwhelmingly, so completely and absolutely that I believe in all truth that you are the other half of myself. To think that I could have lost you. I could have thrown away myself into that river, and if it weren't there, I I could have drowned and never known your touch. Shh. His lips are very near yours now, and you feel the wonder of his love sweep over you like a golden light. Then as he draws you closer and closer still, he sweeps you away into heaven, where you are part of the divine, no longer two people, but one. Through all eternity. You married the god emperor of mankind. Yeah. That's amazing. Did we just like <laughs> meld together? Like what, what happened? You are now a hideous fusion of two beings. You Cronenberg each other. <laughs> Uta, turn nine. 
And 134 is hopefully my ending. Your Scottish lord is like, now that we're, we're, we're together accomplices in this murder, we have to run. <laughs> you are back in Edinburgh. You shudder every time you think back on the terrible scene you enacted with Lady Meringue. But you know it is a blessing in disguise. Because when the Duke searched for her, they also found the lifeless body of the Duchess. The body had been weighted down with chains and had settled directly beneath Lady Meringue's window. But now that this is over, you and the Duke are to be man and wife. You are sitting in the drawing room of the castle when the Duke comes in. You stand looking at each other and it seems as if the Duke's eyes are searching your face, looking deep below the surface as if he seeks your very soul. Then, quite simply, without saying any more, he holds out his arms. You make a little sound that is all your lips can utter and run towards him, wanting only to be close to him, to know that he is real and that he is really there. Then he kisses you. The wonder and the rapture you knew when he kissed you before seems to sweep away everything but an ecstasy that makes you feel as if the both of you are no longer in the world, but are being carried away into a special heaven that is always there when he touches you. I love you, you want to say, but it is quite unnecessary. You know that the Duke is saying the same to you without words, and that there is no need of them. You have passed through deep waters to find each other. It is love that has shown the way, a love overwhelming and irresistible. You know you will never lose each other again. Oh, you don't get to the end after this. It just also, it just says nothing. It never ends. It never ends. Our love yeah. continues. Also, what about Mary Rose? She'll be fine. <laughs> Who cares? She'll be fine. <laughs> Mike, I will remind you that we married the uncle of the guy who tried to kill himself because we were such a stone-cold bitch. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, that Thanksgiving is going to be... <laughs> oh, I can't Awkward. wait. It's going to be so great. Yeah, what do I care? I'm a stone-cold bitch. <laughs> With... An appreciation for life now. Correct. Yes. And how fun it is life. to remove from other people. Yes. So let's see. I think we can all agree that Joe and Jason won because they found true love first. Mm -hmm. I mean, according to the rules, <laughs> yes. Frank and I won because we have the most money. <laughs> yes, clearly. And Brian won because his story never ends. Right. <laughs> it must be lived. So some fascinating stuff about Barbara Cartland. She wrote 723 novels. Jesus Christ! Yes, exactly. Plus, plays, music, verse, drama, magazine articles, and an operetta. <laughs> of course. Well, if it has as many ups and downs as this does, it's got to be pretty fascinating. Your 450th novel, like opera's the logical next step. Sure. And this is great. According to an obituary published in the Daily Telegraph, Cartland reportedly broke off her first engagement to a guards officer when she learned about sexual intercourse and recoiled. <laughs> huh. Huh. Uh, she also has an amazing picture on the Wikipedia page. Yes, it exactly. is amazing. Also, she was the step grandmother of Princess Diana. Huh. Whoa. Huh. In 1978, Cartland released an album of love songs through State Records, produced by Sir Norman Newell. The album featured Cartland performing a series of popular standards with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. <laughs> wow. Amazing. I am stunned. <laughs> Frank also has another game here called The Quest for the Ideal Mate, which um, is actually an Avalon Hill game. I think next Valentine's Day... <laughs> we'll continue the tradition. We will continue well, our tradition. Sure. Assuming no better romance games have come out in the intervening year. I mean, this one set a pretty high bar, I guess. Right. Yeah, I mean, the writing was decent. I mean, you know. Oh, no, I love this. Weird ellipses, but otherwise, this. Yes. <laughs> like, this is amazing. Like, hey, if you're going to do it, do it. Lean into it. 
for sure lean yeah. into it honestly if you are looking for a barbara cartland romance novel in game form i don't think it could be done much better than this right yeah, and actually a really good paragraph game i'm yeah, just, yeah, yeah that's exactly the there was some was interesting really stuff going on in it there. had a mechanic that made us all be like oh that's an interesting mechanic <laughs> like why is nobody done game because literally no one has ever played this game <laughs> This is actually my second time playing this game. Okay. <laughs> right, cool. so, we should take our secret powers learned from playing this game and apply them to other paragraph right, games. Right, so now when we create a paragraph game, we're definitely going to be stealing from the Barbara Cartland game. And no one will be the wiser. No, 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 no. No, we will totally put it in the designer's notes so people are aware of what is happening. Yes. It's like, why is, this, why is this game dedicated to Barbara Cartland? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> So, happy Valentine's, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. I hope your romance, Day. like Uta's, never ends. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you find the true value of a human life. I hope you merge with your mate in some sort of horrible Cronenbergian <laughs> monster. Good night, sweetheart. Sleep will vanish soon. Good night, sweetheart. Till we meet tomorrow. I hope you find some infidels you can murder in good conscience <laughs> together. I mean, it gets me so hot. <laughs>